Good morning. As always, lately, let me know in the chat if there's an issue with the audio, please, so I can fix it early on. I did my check before we started, and it seemed to be working on my end. So, good morning. A few days ago, and actually this is two and a half or so weeks ago, a a uh, cloistered nun reached out to me and began talking to me about what had happened to religious orders and religious life in the last decade in the church. And they gave me permission to use a bit of their testimony they gave me, um, as long as I honored their anonymity. And you may wonder, well, why does a nun need to be anonymous? If you are wondering that, then I would presume you are new to the things going on in the church, especially to religious life. The In the last decade or so, and it, it does go back before Francis, but especially since Francis came to assume the papal throne, we have had this situation in the church where religious orders have been quietly persecuted while the, especially the more traditional they are, the more they're per persecuted. And this happened for a number of reasons. A couple of documents were issued that reemphasized that the nuns need to go out in the world and go become like the face of evangelization and this and such even the contemplative orders needed to we've had a change in how they're governed uh, allowing the essentially putting them into these sort of federations of us assumedly like-minded religious orders where the practice in reality is that these federations would have traditional religious orders in the same governing structure as modern religious orders. So for instance, let's say you had a traditional Dominican group. They would be in the same group with modern Dominicans, meaning you would have, since we're using nuns as our example, full habited nuns trying to come to terms with and have common governing rules as those who wear pantsuits and ride around on buses publicly preaching the secular gospel. Begin to see how this might be a problem. And so this nun reached out to me, and I'm going to give you their testimony here, and which they gave me permission to do. But again, they're going to remain anonymous. I want to give you some background for this. There are two documents in the last 10 years that really changed how things work in the church. So we go to Catholic culture from an article of theirs eight years ago. And we'll just make sure. Yeah, we're okay. We're good. Pope issues new norms for women's contemplative religious communities, written by, written on the or published on twenty second of July, twenty sixteen. Now that is an important. That's right around the same time that, um, about five years before, to the day, pretty much that Traditionus Custodis was issued on the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. But this was would have been the next day. Okay, so this article would have been published the day after. Again, they like to do things against sacred tradition on the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, among other feast days. But here's what we has to say. Quote, well, they, well, the key part here is, if you want to know, there, there was a document, we're not going to quote it extensively, but an apostolic constitution called Voltum de Querere. Apologies for the bad Latin. My Latin is, is garbage. Which apparently calls for a renewal of women's contemplative communities. Now, eight years later, we've come to know that when Francis uses the word renewal, we all cringe internally because it's not usually renewal, but deconstruction that he's doing. There's a a bunch of like in that document, when I read through it, you uh, got, you know, 
a lot of good sounding stuff, you know, women's contemplative religious orders play a vital role in the church. He reiterates that it's true. Um, there's just a lot going on there, but ultimately what it does is it includes quote, a series of new canonical norms for religious communities. Again, this was eight years ago. Okay. This is the first major document on this. And the document asks these communities to await more detailed instructions from the Holy See, which they would get later in the form of a document called core orans, which was basically just capsized religious orders. Um, but here's what the, uh, what the initial document said. Okay. So here's some, your beginning of uh, the undermining of religious orders. Francis in the document says, be beacons to those near to you and above all to those far away. Be torches to guide men and women along their journey through the dark night of time. Be sentinels of the morning heralding the dawn. Nothing wrong with that. Among the new rules promulgated in the Apostolic Constitution are, one, a strict notice that communities should not recruit new members from other countries their only reason for doing so is to make up for their loss of members. That had become a, a habit because in the springtime of Vatican II, religious communities suffered catastrophic losses of vocations. You know, typical sign of a springtime in the church is when vocations dry up, right? Well, that happened. And they were doing, they were looking for members from other countries. And so the first thing was they, uh, they were forbidden from essentially renewing their, find the one place they could renew their organizations they're forbidden from reaching out that way. So that's your first one. The second was a norm that all contemplative communities should begin by affiliating with a federation of similar communities with such federations based on either geographical proximity or similarity in spirit. So this is what prevents a lot of like traditional monastic and nuns groups from, from choosing to align with other traditional groups geographical proximity or similarity in spirit, meaning here you're going to have Benedictines with Benedictines, regardless of if the Benedictines are even remotely similar, as an example. And the third provision of this initial document was a provision that contemplative communities prove themselves to be viable and capable of self-governance. And if they are not, the Congregation for Religious will intervene to ensure the revitalization of the monastery or to affect its closure. It was the poison pill. And that was before Cor Orans, the most the most infamous document on this subject. And so a little while later, the Vatican published a document called core orange, which, and the, and in 2021 crisis magazine gives us this good article called why is the Vatican assailing contemplative life that goes over the, the effect this has had. So we're just going to read from this a little bit. The future of contemplative orders in the Catholic Church is under siege, not by the off-bemoan vocations crisis, but by Archbishop Jose Rodriguez Carballo, the secretary for the Congregation for Institutes of Consecrated Life and Societies of Apostolic Life. In 2018, Carballo released Cor Orans, a series of regulations on women's monastic orders. Cor Orans is the practical implementation of Pope Francis's 2016 Voltum Dei Carere. While women's orders globally were required to conform within one calendar year, Core Orans has proved so toxic to authentic monastic life that many monasteries have applied for exemptions, only to be met with silence, delays, and retaliation. While much can be said about Core Orans, it is essentially a planned obsolescence program for, for contemplative monasticism, designed by a bishop who has, time and again, announced that such a vocation has overstayed its use. Carballo holds no love for contemplative monasticism. He has said that the collapse of religious vocations over the past 50 years is proof that this form of religious life is antiquated. 
Even when an order has flourishing vocations, he dismisses it as a fluke. In a 2015 speech, he claimed that contemplative life was outmoded and, quote, says hardly anything to people today. To an assembly of Carmelites, he denied that Teresa would want them to remain faithful to her rule. What does Teresa want now? We don't want to walk as we did 500 years ago. One of the harshest changes is an update to formation. Get this. This is this was designed to destroy contemplative orders here. The change the formation rule. Under Carbio's rules for every woman's monastic community, every woman's monastic community, formation is required to last 9 to 12 years at minimum. By comparison, before core orange, nine years was the maximum allowed. For many orders, formation is the equivalent of a Navy SEALs boot camp experience. There are additional rules and regulations, all of which must be followed to the letter. It is heartless and unsustainable to require such a formation for nine years. Formation is strict in a way that professed life is not. Once a nun knows how to be a nun, there is more flexibility and freedom built into her life in the monastery. The best Marine would not survive a nine-year boot camp. Why must nuns? One mother superior told me that her vocational boom will dry up if she forces her novices to endure for nine years. As it is, both her novices and her fully professed sisters are happy, and nobody wants to leave. There are feeble attempts to justify this change. Commitment is for life, much like a marriage, and people need to, time to make sure. Most married couples would probably agree that a nine-year engagement, or worse, a nine-year diocesan run-up marriage prep course that meets every single day, is overkill. Even the best relationships would suffer from exhaustion and burnout to be left in such a temporary state for so long. At a time when Rome is bending over backwards to be more pastoral for laity seeking to marry or remarry, why is it placing such an erroneous burden on religious life? Additionally, the novice mistress is, under core orans, required to constantly attend continuing education classes outside of her monastery. That is meant to keep the mother superior in line, to keep her from, from well, to make sure she's still on the team constantly. It is essentially equivalent to requiring a mother to attend never-ending bureaucratic indoctrination programs to be allowed to parent her own children. If novice mistresses fail to conform to the policies set forth in these programs, the entire monastery's future can be threatened by the Federation, the worst requirement of core orans. Under core orans, every monastery is required to join a Federation, and if not, they are forcibly enrolled. Federations violate the autonomy of monasteries dictated in the rules of their saintly foundresses, such as the Discalced Carmelites. St. Teresa of Avila, for instance, was adamant that monasteries maintain strict autonomy from each other and from other monastic governing structures, especially Federation, a tradition reaffirmed by John Paul II in 1990. Cor Orans takes away this long-recognized monastic autonomy. Carbio described it as a, quote, privilege that under his regulations, the Federation's president can decide to take away from a monastery, basically at her own discretion and within wide room for cause. Under Carbio's one-size-fits-all regulation for every order and charism, Federations have unchecked power over individual monasteries and their nuns. Assets and members must be shared, which means a federation can require a monastery to surrender money and sisters at any time for any reason. Additionally, the federation can visit and inspect the monasteries at any time and for any length of time. This is to keep traditional groups in the order. Think about that. Think about this for a second. Not only can they surrender money, but sisters. Now, that means a aging out modernist convent where no one is under the age of 65, can demand that the ultra-traditional, full-habited nuns who don't even have electricity in their convent, because those definitely exist, send nuns to their to, to 
that aging out community. Make them remove their habits and put on their pantsuits and take care of that other community. And then, of course, force them to live by the standards of that modern community. Do you see how destructive this is? Communities are required to follow any rule changes mandated by the Federation, which can alter any aspect of the monastery. Federations are even allowed to remove novices from a community, educate them in their own offsite program for years, return them only as fully professed nuns. For a monastic community, this is the equivalent of uh, child services being able to drop into your family home without a warrant, etc., etc. You get the idea. Core Orans was meant to destroy traditional religious orders. And this is why the, uh, the sister wrote to me because she wanted to make sure, because she understood that I, I cover these, th this story on this. And so she, this anonymous nun has this following um, sort of expose she did or this sort of explanation of religious life and what has happened from the perspective of a nun. I will be keeping her anonymous because at this point, I would hope it's obvious why I need to do that. Um, before I read, really go into this, if for whatever reason, if someone from a Catholic print outlet or media outlet wants to contact her, please re email me. Emails in the description box below. I will uh, reach out to her for you. Okay. Beyond that, um, I'm going to keep her anonymous. So here is her testimony. As modern society has worked to blur the distinctions between good and bad, truth and falsehood, male and female, even between rational and non-rational creatures, the distinction between the religious life and the life of the laity has been blurred by the infiltration of modernists in the church. And not only the distinction between the lay faithful and the religious life, but also the distinctions between the various forms of religious life in the church have been blurred. This equalization of the various states of life has the purpose of phasing out the most effective solution to the church crisis, the cloistered contemplative life. This conclusion is the result of an examination of the progressively progressive documents on the religious life in our modern times and connecting the dots from personal experiences in religious life. First of all, this use of the term consecrated life that has been used since Vatican II instead of the term religious life is loaded with the new thinking of not wanting to exclude anyone. The contemplative life can be lived fully only in a real, distinct, and not just symbolic separation from secular culture. So the constant cries by some prelates, clergy, and religious in the church to open up the cloister gates and let the nuns out is indeed dangerous. The new instruction core orans hears the, that their cry by an appearance of decentralization, which in practice is dictatorial. She says, I see in 2024, this is exactly the synodal method. The move opens cloisters to an influx of transitory concerns, which will be their demise. As the modern church has sought to stress the importance of the lay state, she has unwittingly confirmed the theological truth of magisterial teaching. That the lay state is an earthly state of life, not an eschatological one. An eschatological vocation is a sign of what all the faithful will live in the eschaton, that is, the resurrection of the body. Our Lord said, my kingdom is not of this world. The fullest realization of the eschatological element of the church is the monastic cloistered contemplative life. This way of life makes no sense to those trapped in the immunitism of man-centered religion. Pa I'm going to pause here. When she's talking about the immunitism of man-centered religion, that is essentially what mainstream Catholicism has become. That's why the priest faces people at the typical mass on Sunday, because it is a man-centered religion based on the modernist idea of vital imminence, which is essentially just internalized and emotional sort of experience of religion. If you are not familiar with this concept, I suggest you, you uh, begin watching my ongoing series, uh, Deconstructing Pius XII's 
Pashendi Dominici Gregas, where I present small portions of it every other week. Next one should be next weekend. And early on, he defines vital imminence and how it makes everything a man-centered religion. And we hear that language now in mainstream Catholicism. Let's continue. The movement to reduce eschatological virginity, especially in cloistered communities, to the realm of an earthly state is seen by the interferences in modern documents addressing norms of the papal enclosure. In practice, this for, the forces of materialism, professionalism, pragmatism, utilitarianism, and modernism have infiltrated religious life and deprived religious, especially contemplative religious, of their first and foremost duty, union with God in prayer and contemplation. This is among the causes which has stifled the development of legitimate contemplative vocations. It means the slow death of communities still hanging on. A real distinction among the vocations must exist, which includes a state of life which gives primacy to the things of heaven by embracing, not escaping, the protections of the papal enclosure. Generally, magisterial teaching in the documents since Pius XII on the contemplative life reminds nuns that cloistered monastic life provides the conditions for eschatological living in a way that no other vocation does. Cor Orans reiterates the constant teaching understanding, constant magisterial understanding, that there are certain circumstances under which the contemplative life can flourish. To preserve greater separation from the world, to preserve silence and recollection in the cloister, to give a preeminence to the liturgy and divine office, to live and suffer daily increasing in charity. At the same time, equivocal statements are included in these documents, in which encourage exceptions to these rules and norms, especially with regard to separation from the world, which is what the enclosure is, which affects all the rest of the elements of the properly lived contemplative life. Pius XII's Sponsor Christi first made these exceptions, but only the Holy See could grant permission for leaving the papal enclosure for holy contemplative nuns. Perfecte Caritatis reiterates the primacy of the holy contemplative life in the papal enclosure, but puts active and contemplative life on the same par for the sake of, quote, inclusion. Veniti Seorsum sets forth the requirements for papal enclosure, but apologizes for it and mitigates its necessity. Next, the updated norms for the papal enclosure and verbe sponsa reiterate the importance of the papal enclosure, and then further dumb down the norms by decentralization. We'll pause here and explain this. There have been a series of documents after Pius XII from pretty much every pope afterwards that watered down and watered down and watered down and then dumbed down the concept of the the contemplative religious life in the enclosure. Every Pope since Pius XII has done this and every Pope among them is guilty of this. This is again, why I re reiterate to people that Francis isn't, isn't himself the problem. He's a logical next step in a series of dumbing down the faith. A lot of people don't want to hear that, but it's the truth. And she is giving you a perfect example of this by just listing all these documents from these various Popes before she's even gotten to anything really, that Francis did, except for briefly mentioned Cor Orans. Let's continue. The local ordinary here is given the power to grant permission for leaving the enclosure. Notice that's the big change. How initially only the Holy See could grant that, and now the local ordinary can, meaning the bishop. Finally, Cor Orans, 2018, seals the coffin by leaving it up to the abbess or prioress, now called a moderator in canonical legislation, to give permission for the exception of leaving the papal enclosure. Not only in Cor Orans, but the time of the Vatican II implementation, the cloisters were required to bring in teachers from the outside. Priests from already infiltrated religious orders and seminaries encouraged them to open up the doors to the world and take their rightful place among the men. 
They taught them all the lovely new heresies found in theology and the humanities, in the new man-made religion, refectory reading and nuns' libraries. This was all new and updated in like manner. A couple of personal experiences serve to illustrate. In my cloistered community, a well-known priest professor of seminarians at a major neo-Catholic seminary, the same seminary which my active Novus Ordo community also sends sisters for formation in theology, is also a well-known retreat master for nuns. Father came to give a retreat in our cloister in 2015. His major emphasis in this contemplative retreat was the claim that Jesus favored Martha's way over and above the choice of Mary in Luke chapter 10, verse 42. When I challenged his claim by pointing out that that is not what the text says, he says we have to learn to, quote, think with the church and her tradition. It's a reversal of the meaning of the word tradition. The same line of thinking was verbalized to me later by a sister from my active community of origin when I wrote to her that I was attending the Latin Mass. She said, be careful not to abandon the tradition of the church. She received her master's in theology from the same seminary where this priest was a professor. And I know for a fact that he was a professor of hers. By the way, in one of our evening recreations during that retreat with the priest, all the nuns except me concurred that certainly it was better to serve as Martha did rather than to sit there as Mary did. Note her emphasis there, which was the overall general practice in everyday life there. And these two communities are considered the most conservative and faithful communities out there in Novus Ordo world. So, as an aside, the two communities I professed in, and the, uh, we'll skip past some of that, fought hard to hang on to tradition and in the end kept the habit, though modified and the observances, though related. Communities were required to rewrite their constitution's formation programs to conform to the new Vatican II documents and instructions and all the humanistic teachings. Constitutions and formation programs were and still are approved only if they mirrored the equivocal language of the Vatican II documents. But most of all, the ways of thinking were slowly undergoing changes, to the point of creating such division that in both communities, sisters left in droves in the 60s and 70s and 80s. I remember years ago studying the documents of Vatican II, a requirement in the formation program. My novice mistress said that the community only survived because they adapted to changes. From what I understand, even though it was explained to me in Pope-splaining ways, the community had to go along with the requirements from Rome, the local ordinary and clergy. All this simply could not be opposed without being put out of business. Nuns are dependent on the clergy, mass, confession, attending to the blessed sacrament, etc., being cared for by the clergy. And this is even more true of cloisters. Hence, both superiors and subjects in cloistered communities either became complacent and succumbed or became dysfunctional and scarred trying to live with cognitive dissonance or became white martyr saints like Sister Wilhelmina and a few in my own communities. Or they left and either got married or remained single and joined or ran the church choir and had to have regular jobs. In other words, the vocation to religious life was successfully equivocated with the lay state. Meaning in the changes of Vatican II, they essentially blurred the lines to the point where there was almost a distinction without meaning in a lot of cases when it came time for practice, which is what she's illustrating here. The Canon 603 diocesan hermit seems not to have been an option until more recently, even though the 1983 code was now the Bible in religious communities. Even the mention of the old and obsolete code of 1917 caused anger in middle-aged nuns of many communities. But with this Canon 603, a former religious is required to juridically separate from her community in order to be considered under the diocesan hermit vocation. It is dangerous for women to be alone, and most chanceries want them to prove a monthly income, a residence, and an expensive health insurance and retirement. That makes it a worldly vocation, not a religious vocation. The whole point of the canon is to live alone and unattached to a community. Moreover, the religious order priest canonist that I was assigned 
told me the church sees the diocesan hermit as a secular vocation, where the canon 603 hermit must pay taxes. Even though I have the bishop's permission to wear a habit, and I early on established a 501c3, the canonist said I should not wear the habit because I'm a secular. I explained to the canonist that in conscience I could not have personal income, so that goes against my vow of poverty. He advised that I discontinue thinking of myself as a religious. The Congregation for Religious actually set forth guidelines for Canon 603, which allowed the habit in a 501c3, but in practice, the only diocese is formally honoring that dogma is Harrisburg and Los Cross, because the canon lawyers and the chanceries and religious orders are trained otherwise, according to the Church's new tradition. Accordingly, the contemplative life is in practice disallowed both in community and alone as a hermit, meaning the, when religious orders, these reformed religious orders, become so intolerant of the actual traditional Catholic practice of the contemplative life, the canonical the canonical alternatives for them are not actually available in practice. It's sort of like fiducia supplicants, where the practice of the church, the well, the traditional teaching of the church, and now the practice of the neo-church are in conflict. It's the same kind of thing here. As far as the contemplative life in particular, in 2014, amidst rumors in my closer community of coming changes, modernist Archbishop Carbio, prefect for the congregation from that I listed from the other article, assured my abbess and the other cloistered superiors at the Federation meeting in Rome that the coming Voltum Carede would not change anything with regard to papal enclosure. The superiors returned quite pleased and pacified, but the document itself requires three things which are intended to destroy life in the enclosure. A nine-year wait for solemn vows, a requirement of formation outside the cloister, and formal association with federations which are headed by modernist superiors and are given juridical power over autonomous monasteries. Remember the Philly Carmel. For those of you who've been watching me a while, you remember how I was constantly covering that story as it, as it was unfolding. They were essentially, the nuns packed up everything one morning and left because they couldn't handle being in Philadelphia anymore. This power includes being able to shut down a monastery at a whim. Bergoglio's follow-up, Cor Orans, itself asks to be read in a unitary vision, with all the documents of the contemplative life preceding it. However, it makes the same destructive requirements of contemplative cloistered communities. In encouraging the development of selective criteria, especially in the area of social communications, Cor Orans states that these means may be used for formation purposes and necessity only. Using social communications as an escape from the demands of union with the Lord and with the sisters would disturb the silence and recollection in the cloister and in the heart of the sister herself. Objectively, the document in no way dispenses cloisters from the obligation of silence and recollection. But concerns are expressed in the document that monasteries not be closed in on themselves, a favorite accusation of modernists, and hence the continuation of an overemphasis, to say the least, on social communications, email, video, etc. The cloister community where I was are now watching things like The Chosen, wow, together with their Friday night solitude time. One sister from Africa I am in touch with who is turning traditional told me that her community watches soap operas during grand silence after after Compline. <laughs> Sorry. I have not seen that necessity. Necess I have not seen that necessarily, but definitely haven't seen, but have definitely seen loose silence work and social media after Compline in both my active and contemplative communities. Cloisters exist that so, mem so that some members of the mystical body can be protected from succumbing to the attitudes of the kingdom of this world. And when there are monasteries of nuns who do not succumb to this worldly kingdom, the contemplative life will thrive, both inside the monastery and among Christ's faithful. But will the new church permit this? 
Jesus has promised, my kingdom is not of this world. He has also asked us, when I return, will I find any faith on earth? Again, if you are from a Catholic media or anything and you want to, you want that, or you want to speak with a nun, email me and I, I can try to put her in touch with you and see if she's uh, interested in, stop, in talking. But what you're seeing is an attempt to destroy religious life in the church, especially contemplative life, where the nuns spend their days praying and contemplating on the divine mysteries. If you've ever read Chesterton's poem for Lepanto, you understand the key role in the grand spiritual battles going on in the church and in the church versus the world of what the key role of these prayer warriors are. And there is a concerted effort to destroy it. And it has been going on like that for some time. All right. I'm curious if there is um, any comments or in anything in the chat. The chat's pretty active right now. Um, but uh, what do you think of that? And especially if the this uh, you know this tendency apparently of modern nuns to during their time of silence after Compline to watch soap operas or to surf social media. What do you think of that? But the kind of annihilates the concept of silence, doesn't it? This religious silence meant to foster this this spiritual union with our lord it just destroys that on its face <laughs> cleans a diabolical absolutely email and other technological innovations in a monastery insanity i could see like having one place for email and other technology because there is since monasteries are required by canon law and always have been of being able to support themselves i could see you know email for business purposes and for getting say the orders for, I don't know, hot sauce, let's say, if the uh, nuns make it or whatever, and handling that stuff. But otherwise, that stuff is only accessible for people who have permission to use it. I could see that to be one thing, but we're talking about purposely keeping people, the nuns, attached to the world. Can I post a copy of the letter? Um, if I get her permission, I will. And I know she'll be watching this, so uh, sister, email me if I have your permission to post a copy of it. I may redact a little bit some of the stuff that I missed when I was reading it. But um, Paul Turner says it's like a bad Monty Python movie. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. It's what it, it's kind of what it feels like. Rich says it's a removal of critical prayer cover. Yeah, it's a it's a turn of the nuns to a a purely materialistic orientation for the church. If you need any further proof that the church has under the, the increasingly since the council but especially in the last 10 years, been utilized for purely materialistic purposes. You really only look, have to look at the treatment of the contemplatives to see it. Richard Rogers says, Francis is a demolition expert. Christ, being beside being our savior, was a builder. Yes. All right, folks. Uh, if there's nothing else, uh, it's, it is a Sunday morning. I got to get ready for mass and things. My family ready. Um, prayers would be appreciated, by the way. We have an interesting drive ahead of us because... Uh, Going up to Tulsa today, there's uh, storms up there, so <laughs> probably won't be too bad. But it's a, uh, it's going to be interesting to say the least. Anyway, folks, please pray for the for for the men and women religious who are affected by this diabolical restructuring of their uh, organizations. Yeah. Let's see, 
early great says it's profoundly sad for the whole world and what is driving it is pure evil worldliness why would anyone seeking cloister religious life go in i almost think that's the purpose i almost think that's the purpose carbio himself has said that uh, the cloistered life is outdated and whenever somebody in a position in the church says something some traditional practice of the church is outdated you should be wary of that person all right folks Please pray for all the men and women religious who are affected by this. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.